Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Let's jump in. Go with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 7, and we are going to read the last verse in chapter 7, and then we're going to jump into the 8th chapter of Nehemiah. So go with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 73. It reads as follows. Now in mid-autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled together as one person at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the scroll of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people paid close attention to the book of the law. Jump with me now to verse 8. This is the last verse I'm going to have you read. Verse 8 of chapter 8. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought. Let's go back to the book. Let's go back to the book. Can I lead you in a prayer? Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to now dive into your word. Father, you've been so good to us. You've been speaking to us through this series. My prayer, God, is that we will have heard something. We will have internalized something. Maybe it caused us to see something in a different light. Because of that, we're forever grateful, Lord God. And as we approach now these elections, Father, we know that you are in control. And Father, when um, the election day comes and, and when it goes, I pray that as a people, um, as a church, Father, that we would model to our nation how we can get back to loving one another, how we can get back to being for one another. And so I pray, Father, that we would lean in on that in these times. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go back to the book. How many of you took on a quarantine project while we have been in this COVID crisis? Come on, put a little emoji um, in uh, with the hand raised in the comment section if you took on a quarantine projects. I think that the quarantine projects have been a blessing to all the wives all across America. Come on, you've been asking your husband to get something done and there was nothing like a good shutdown to finally get those projects finished around the house. I actually got some stuff done. Look, I'm not that handy, but we got some projects done. And you know what I'm really good at? When I can't figure it out, I'm good at calling someone. So whenever I couldn't figure it out, we had someone come in. We brought in the cavalry to help get things done. But uh, speaking of quarantine projects, I've noticed that there are two types of people when it comes to getting projects done around the house. There's person number one and person number one just looks at the box. 
How many know what I'm talking about? You got to build something. You look at the box and and you just go. It's like you you don't want to read the manual. You just want to look at the box and you're going to bring out everything that it takes to construct it and you're going to go. Now, the second type of person is the person that reads the manual. They're the person that will sit down, not open all of the pieces just yet. They'll just sit down, manual in hand, maybe even a glass of lemonade or a cup of coffee, and they're reading the manual before they do anything. Now, admittedly, admittedly, I was a follow-the-box type of guy, but it seems like the older I get, I tend to lean in more on the manual. And growing up, my dad was a manual guy. But let me tell you how much of a manual guy my dad was. You see, my dad worked in quality assurance. He was a quality engineer. And so um, my dad, when it came time to building something, he wouldn't just look at the manual, but he'd look at the manual for all of the parts. And he would align all the parts, making sure that we have everything that the manual says we need to have. And I remember as a kid, it would drive me crazy because I'd be like on step three. And my dad was like, hold on a second. Did you count the parts? Do we have all the fasteners? Do we have all of the washers? Do we have everything we need? My dad is a manual person. And, um, you know, with my aging, I'm beginning to become a little more like that. And in our text today, we'll see that the nation of Israel had just returned to Jerusalem and they were rebuilding the city. They, they built the temple. They, they rebuilt the walls. And, and while they were rebuilding the temple, you'll, you'll see if you read this in the book of Ezra, that there was a young generation those that left Babylonian captivity and came back to Jerusalem to rebuild. There was a young generation that was born in captivity. And so they never actually saw the city of Jerusalem in all of its glory. And then there was also some in the some of the exiles that came back to Jerusalem that did live in Jerusalem prior to the exile. And so they were old enough to remember what the temple looked like. And I, I liken the younger generation as a generation that just went off of what they heard and the older generation they had seen it they had been there they had walked through the temple and you read in the book of Ezra that the younger generation the older generation while the younger generation was charged up and so happy to have built the temple the older generation wept because they said this is a shell of the glory of the original temple. And so, you know, I I liken those two things. And so after the temple was rebuilt, we are now introduced to this man by the name of Ezra. And when Ezra steps into the scene, here's what he does. He brings out the book of the law. It's like a man stepping forward and he begins to say, now, okay, we've, we've, we built the temple, but let's pull out the manual. Let's pull out the book and let's figure this faith thing out right once and for all. Now, what I'm going to attempt to do in my sermon today, admittedly, if you're listening to me, you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Josh was talking about the exiles in our outdoor services, and I was. I gave you a series just for the outdoor services that we called our comeback season. But at the same time, I need to land the plane on one nation under God, and I am going to attempt to skillfully close out two different sermon series 
together. So in our outdoor services, we were studying how the nation of Israel was returning to Jerusalem after being in exile in Babylon and subsequently Persia. And what I shared with you all in our series of outdoor messages was this, that when they first came back to Jerusalem, all of these exiles that have now come back to Jerusalem, they first built the altar. And when the altar was done, they built the temple. And when the temple was done, Nehemiah shows up and he builds the wall. So, so there's a process to these things and, and there's an order to these things. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they built the altar and they built the temple and Nehemiah steps in and he builds the walls. But that's not where the story ends. Those three men had a role, but there's a fourth man that comes into town and his name is Ezra. And what Ezra did was Ezra rebuilt the people. Ezra rebuilt the people. Catch that. Some built the altar, some built the temples, some built the walls. But a man named Ezra, his responsibility was to rebuild the people. So, so who is Ezra? Let, let's get a little bit of an understanding of who Ezra is. In order to do that, we got to go to the book of Ezra and we're going to read, I'm going to read a few verses to you that describe Ezra to you from the book of Ezra, chapter seven, verse one. And it says this, we get our introduction to Ezra. It says many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. Verse six, this Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. Verse 8 through 10. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived at Jerusalem August Fourth, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. Verse 10. This was because Ezra had determined to study and to obey the law of the Lord and to teach these decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. As Ezra began to teach, and so we read the passages of scripture, as Ezra began to teach the people, what he was doing was bringing them back to the decrees of the Lord. When he brought them back to the decrees of the Lord, we realized that the people repented. The people began to understand that they hadn't been following the manual very well. When they were in exile in Babylon, they were trying to follow a picture of faith, but they weren't actually following the book of the law. And Ezra steps in and he begins to read the manual to them. And he begins to teach it to them. And he begins to make it very clear. So what I want to do is Leave that there. I'm going to park that there for a second. And, and, and let's talk about one nation under God one more time. And if you're taking notes, this is the first thing that I want you to write down. Our nation was founded on biblical principles. If you actually read the Declaration of Independence, you read the undertones of Protestant writers because the writers of the Declaration of Independence and many of the early uh, fathers of our nation, they were Protestants and uh, we read this in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit 
of happiness. Now, the Constitution of the United States of America is not a religious document. That's not what I am saying. But you will read undertones in the Constitution, undertones in the Declaration of uh, Independence. You will read some Christian undertones in there because they are referring to the moral laws of God that we find in the Bible in order to create this document that leads and guides our nation. So, so while Christianity is not some sort of professed and proclaimed um, national religion, beca because it's not, and I'm not going to pretend as though it is, just know that the men that shaped our country and, and wrote these documents, you can read the undertones of Christianity, And I think about some of the great progress that happened in our nation. I think that much of the great progress that we saw in our nation and, and, and the hand of God and his hand of blessing that was over our nation was because of those Christian values. But here's the thing. There are cultural shifts that happen. And in time, things change. I'm not going to sit here and say that we've always got it right as a country. As a matter of fact, we can look back at some horrific parts of our past and say, we got that wrong. We made a mistake. But, but as time has passed on, I, I'm seeing one of the greatest dangers to our country. It is simply this. We're walking away from absolute truth and we're moving towards relative truth. I'm going to say that one more time. One of the great dangers facing our country is this. We are walking away from absolute truth and we are moving towards relative truth. And what that means is there can be no truth because everyone gets to live their own truth. Come on, haven't you ever heard that before? Just live your truth, baby. Uh oh, be careful with that now. Because if everyone's living their truth, can there be absolute truth? Can we look to something and say, no, 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 this is the real truth. Now, you might be saying, how can that, um, how can that be a, a danger to the fabric of our nation? I, I say that because I see what it did to the nation of Israel. And that's why I'm weaving in this story. Because if you look back at what happened to the nation of Israel, when they were rebuilding the city and they had to turn themselves back to God. Why? Because they had turned their back on God. And how is it that they turned their back on God? The Bible says it this way. Everyone had gone their own way. Doesn't that sound like relative truth? Everyone had gone their own way. They began to do what was right in their own eyes. And there's a great danger in that. When everyone can begin to do what they think to be right, and, and, and they begin to do what they think to be true, because my fear is that the more you do that, it puts us as a very inwardly focused people. And it's actually contrary to Jesus. And it's actually contrary to his servant leadership where he says, whoever wants to be the greatest among you has to become the servant of all. But when you just want to live your truth, when you just want to live out your own truth, when you want to go your own way and do what is right in your own eyes, what happens is we begin to create a very self-serving generation. We begin to create a very self-serving serving generation. And I want to contrast that with the kingdom of God. This is the second thing that I want you to write down. The kingdom of God is built on his word. The kingdom of God is built on his word. And you and I 
We are citizens of that kingdom. We, you, you may be an American citizen, but you're also a kingdom citizen. Whatever your nationality is, just know that when you are a kingdom citizen, nationality gets checked at the door. Because when you are buried with Christ, you are baptized into Christ. And that's a beautiful place to be. Because everything that I read about the kingdom is so much better than I read about the kingdoms of this world. Everything that I read about the kingdoms of God is so much better than I see in the kingdoms of this world. So the kingdom of God is built on his word. And in the kingdom of God, truth is not personal and it is not subjective. Truth is not personal and it is not subjective. In the kingdom of God, there is absolute truth and we have it right here. What I love about the kingdom of God is we have our manual. We have our book. It's given to us. And, and, and when we understand what it says, here's a great part about this book. It is truth to us. And here's what I know about this truth. This truth is unchanging. It is immutable. It is unmovable. And it is unquenchable. Come on, someone better light up the comment section right now. If you know that his word is unquenchable. Do you know how many leaders have tried to put an end to this book throughout the course of human history? And yet here we are on November 1st, 2020 in the year of our Lord. And that book is still truth. And that truth is marching forward. And that truth empowers the church. And we have something to say. And what we have to say is not founded in a political party or a national document, but it's founded on the very words of God. God breathed and it became so. We have truth. It's not subjective. It's absolute because it is what God says that it is. But yet even in all of that, we face a great danger in the church because here's what's happening. In the church, we're starting to take a cue from culture. You see, in the church, we're starting to copy what is happening with the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of this world is going to moral relativism, right? The, the kingdom of this world is you live your own truth. And the problem that I see is that's making its way into the church. And, and, and here's the deal. If you don't agree with all of it, you don't agree with any of it. You cannot pick and choose what you want to believe. I've heard it said this way. If you pick and choose what you want to believe and agree with in the Bible, then Jesus is not your savior. You are your own savior. Because you set the truth. You set what you want to live by. You don't even need him. Because you're beginning to create your own definitions. And, and, and that's a great danger in the, in, in the church as we begin to take a cue from the culture and bring that in. And the danger in that is you are watering down the very precepts of God. You're watering down the decrees of our Lord. You're taking those unchangeable things. You're taking those immutable truths and deciding, no, nah, I don't believe that. No, nah, I don't want that. I don't agree with that. Because I saw something on Instagram, and that's what I agree with. I don't believe in that. Because I saw something on TikTok, and that's what I agree with. I don't believe in that. I got my news from Facebook, and you know if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true. Come on now. And that's a great danger because we, we don't take our cues from the Word of God anymore. We're taking our cues from the culture. We're taking our cues from our political parties. Be careful now. Be careful now. 
I know many of you think that your political party is the right party, but every time it plants a seed of hate in your soul, just know that that's not the kingdom of God. Anytime it plants a seed of fear in your heart, just know it's not the kingdom of God. So you've got to be careful now. Listen, listen. I don't care what political party you are part of. What I do care about is, are you a kingdom citizen? And if you are a kingdom citizen, then where you are in your political persuasion is a far, far way off from first being a kingdom citizen. We're citizens of the kingdom. We are a peculiar people. We are a royal priesthood. God has set us apart and called us holy. We are the righteousness of God. I, I want to be the righteousness of God more than I want to be a Republican. I want to be the righteousness of God more than I want to be a Democrat. I want to be the righteousness of God more than I want to be whatever political party you're voting for. And God bless all of you that are voting for Kanye and Rocky, okay? I mean, it, my righteousness in God has to be greater than all of those things. But, but as I turn to my word, watch this now. Here's something that I read, it, and it leaped off uh, of the scriptures when I began to study this. I've come to the conclusion, listen now, that God is not waiting for this nation to turn its heart back to God. God is waiting for his people to turn their hearts back to God. I'm going to say that one more time. God is not waiting for our nation to turn its heart back to him. God is waiting for his people. Because 2 Chronicles 7:14 says, "If my people who are called by my name." It doesn't say if my Republicans, it doesn't say if my Democrats, it doesn't even say if my Americans. It is saying if my people. God is not waiting for your political party. God is waiting for you. God is waiting for his people. And, and, and today that is the church. In the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel. But, but today, if you are part of the church, you're his people. And God's not waiting for America to repent. God is waiting for the church to repent. Woo, come on now. I know that's heavy. I told Pastor Phil, I'm coming in fired up and I'm going to be swinging today. And I think I am. And I'm waking you up on this Sunday morning. But listen, God is not waiting for the nation to repent. <laughs> for so many times I heard that behind the pulpit, America needs to repent. And I realized, no, the church just needs to repent. He just needs his people to remove their idols. He just needs his people to remove their political parties. He just needs his people to remove the idols of whatever is convenient and whatever is comfortable. He's waiting for his people to repent. We are to have nothing before God. That's what he's called us to do. You, you, I want you to have no other idols before me. You might be saying, Pastor Josh, I've got no idols. There's, there's, there's no candles in my house. And I don't got no, I don't got no little uh, dolls and, and, and things in my house. And, and Pastor, all I got is my essential oils. And you know that's filled with the Holy Spirit. But, but listen, listen, you might be saying, I don't have any idols. But whatever you give your attention to, Whatever you give your affection to, Pastor Adrian broke that down last week so good. Go back and hear that. But whatever has your attention has you. That's it. Whatever you are most focused on, and if that thing is not God, and if God is not seated in the center of your heart, then you've got some idols. You've got some idols. And here's the deal. The church has turned its attention away from God. And we've become with, so burdened with things that do not advance the kingdom of God. 
The church has. The church has. How many times have you ever walked into a setting and thought, is this really moving the kingdom of God forward? I know we're doing it in the name of our church. I know we're doing it in the name of our denomination. I know we're doing it in the name of whatever has you. But is it really moving the kingdom of God forward? Is the kingdom of God really advancing through all of this? I often wonder if the apostles came and stepped into one of our church services today, does it resemble the church that they built? The church that Jesus called them to build? Jesus telling Peter, if you love me, feed my disciples. I'm sorry, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. What was he saying? Build my church. Feed those that would come after me. And I get that times change, but you know what shouldn't change? Kingdom priorities. Kingdom values. The kingdom of God should never take a backseat to the culture. The kingdom of God should never take a backseat to the culture. And, and here's the deal, going back to Ezra. When Ezra read from the book of the law, now I'm going to make an application. He read from the book of the law and because he's Old Testament. They only had the Old Testament today. We've got both old and new. We've got Genesis through Revelation. But what he had was just Old Testament. And he had the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When he read from the book of the law, as we read in Nehemiah chapter 8, he made it clear to them. And he helped them to understand what it said. And here's what happened. When they understood the book of the law, the Bible says that it led the entire nation into repentance. It led the entire nation to think about some of the things that they had done in the name of culture, to think about some of the things that they had done while they were in exile, to think about who they had become. I'm going to tell you how severe it is. Now, this is Old Testament time, so understand context, but... Everyone that had married somebody that was not Jew, we read in this story that they had to put away all of their spouses that did not share their heritage, their faith, and their lineage. I know you're thinking, Pastor Josh, that's really extreme. Listen, they had to do whatever it took to go back to the manual. They had to do everything that it took to rebuild this thing one more time, reading from the manual. You see, what happened was Israel had been so influenced by Babylon that they lost who they were. They had been so influenced by the culture of Babylon and the culture of Persia that it drowned out their identity. Listen to me. Don't lose your identity because of the culture. I'll say that again. Don't lose your identity because of the culture. We have got to get back to understanding the word of God because when we understand the word of God, we understand the heart of God. When we understand the word of God, we understand the heart of God. And when we understand the heart of God, we're not so easily moved by political parties, political agendas, or by the winds of culture. Last point that I want you to write down. Now as kingdom citizens, we need to get God's word in our heart, write down God's word in our heart. You see, in the kingdom of God, it is our responsibility to write down God's word in our heart. You see, in the Old Testament, the commands of God were first, the commands of God were first written on stone tablets by the very hand of God given to Moses. 
And later, those, those, those same commands were translated and written down on parchments. And it was only the, the, the priests and eventually the rabbis that would read of those words, those commands that God had given. But his desire was that his commands would not be written in stone, but that his commands would be written in our hearts. You see, if you can get God's word inside your heart, then you're going to know exactly where you should stand on the issues that our world is facing. I'm going to say that one more time. Okay, I paused for effect. Uh, but if you could get God's word inside of your heart, then you're going to know exactly where you should stand with all the various issues that are facing us in the culture. Because the Bible actually says a lot. It, it talks a lot to some of the things that we are trying to come to terms with as a nation. Did you know that the Bible talks to the sanctity of life? The Bible speaks to religious liberties. The Bible speaks to marriage and sexuality. The Bible speaks to our responsibility to the environment. The Bible speaks to racial diversity. It speaks to fair, econ fair economy. It speaks to social, social justice and more. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you thought only Instagram talked to those things. But the word of God actually talks to those very heavy subjects. And, and, and here's my concern. Here's my concern. We have a church that is letting our politics be shaped by something other than the word of God. And we have youth in our church that have not done anything to really study the word of God. And they're turning to social media to form their decisions. Come on, think about that for a second. Especially in this day and age that we're living in, where you can't even trust what's being fed to you. More people are turning to that rather than opening up their Bibles. And what really concerns me is we have a generation of young people that don't have God's word inside their hearts. And they're growing up to become the voters. They're growing up to become the lawmakers. And they're growing up to become the people that are going to shape our policies. And listen to me. This is not a red and blue issue. This is not a conservative or a liberal issue. This is a kingdom issue. This is a kingdom of God issue. Remember that you are a citizen of the kingdom first and foremost. And I'm concerned that the church has completely lost its way in the buildup of this election because we forgot where our priorities lie. Our priorities don't lie with our political parties, but our priority lies in our citizenship as kingdoms, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we have got to get his word inside our hearts. So regardless of who wins in this election, okay, because it's coming up, we should know this week. God, I hope we know this week. And I hope we don't end up into some frenzy of, of recalling the election and all of that. And we're praying that we would have a decisive victory on Tuesday so that as a nation, we can move forward. But listen, whoever wins this election, the church has the responsibility to teach the word of God and to live the word of God. That, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden. That's our responsibility. We, have, we can do more through the kingdom of God and through the collective efforts of the church than we can through our political party. So let us stay focused on what we have been called to do as kingdom citizens. I'm going to come to a close now. I've often heard this and it kind of concerns me. I've heard people say, vote your values, vote your faith. 
And I hear that a lot coming from Christian circles. And I don't have in anything inherently wrong with that statement. But, but, but here's my concern. We're, we're, we're telling other Christians, vote your values. And there's a generation that does not know the values of the word of God. They are going to vote their values and their values aren't the word of God. They are going to vote their faith and their faith is not the word of God because this is a generation that has lost its faith. We have a generation that spends more time on social media than they do in their Bibles. We have a generation that spends more time on social media than they do in their prayer and devotion time. So what do they really value? Vote your values. Well, what do they really value? Because whatever has your attention, that has your affection. And so their values aren't placed in the right location. So I worry when we say vote your values. Because if they're going to vote for their values, it might not look like what you thought it would look like. So church, here's what we got to do. Ezra comes in and he built the people. I said, okay, y'all built the walls, y'all built the temple, you built the altar. I'm going to come in and I'm going to build the people. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, Lighthouse. Listen to me, everyone else that's watching this. We have got to get back to building people. We, we, we have got to have that same mantle on our lives right now. Just like Ezra was focused on building the people. Church, let's get back to building people. Again, my prayer is that we have an answer by Tuesday. We can move forward as a country. And as we move forward, church, we have got to get back to building People, because if we can build people, the people are going to care for this country. If we can build people, then people will care for justice. If we can build people, the people will care for the kingdom. If we can build the people, then the people are going to get the job done. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and Nehemiah built the physical structures, but it was Ezra that said, I'm going to rebuild this people and I'm going to get them back to the book. And that's exactly what I'm calling us back to, Lighthouse. Let's get back to the book. Let's get back into our places where. What do we do? We do the things that make a difference. We do the things that make an eternal impact. And let's focus our eyes there. Let, let's, let's focus our attention doing the things that have eternal consequences, that have eternal reward, doing the things with people that make a difference. I want to lead you in a prayer. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you, God, for this series that we've been in, One Nation Under God. And I thank you, God, for also, as we wrap up our comeback season series of messages, I, I, I just see you working in all of this, Father. I, I see you weaving your word together, not just for Lighthouse Church, but also for North County and for everyone else that would tune in and watch it. Father, my prayer... My prayer is simple, that we would get back to building people, that we would get back to doing the things that have eternal consequence, that we, you would shift our focus back, Father. For some of us, that requires a complete repentance. If my people who are called by my name, there's going to be some people that need to repent for the way that they treated one another in the buildup of this election. There's going to need to be some people who need to repent from where they've put their priorities over the last seven months. Some people's priorities have been absolutely exposed in this COVID season. But my prayer tonight, Lord God, is that we would come back to you. You're not calling for a country to repent. You're calling for your people to repent. And Father, if we would get that right, your people, your repentant people 
we can shake the very fabric of our nation and we can shake our world. Father, we recommit our lives to you. We trust in your plan and we trust in what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.